It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Podcast. Zach Blackerby here with you. Painter Sharpless in Palatial Studio A with me at the Auburn Network Studios. Good morning, sir. What's up? of us recording this, how are you? I'm well, thank you, thank you. So yeah, this is the second edition of the Locked On Auburn Podcast. All right, so we wrapped up the show yesterday talking about uh, one of the gloats, if you will, the greatest listeners of all time. Shout out to, uh, to to Colonel Steve, but he asked a great question. I think you and Justin talked about it on the lunch break a little bit yesterday, but uh, one for offense, one for defense. Who do you think Aubrey would miss if somebody were to go down via injury on, on both sides of the football? I mean, who do you think is the most valuable uh, on both sides of the football this year for the Auburn Tigers? I actually think this one's easy and it- Face value, it's sort of an annoying answer because it's like, oh, you pick the two most talented players way to go out on a limb painter. But I think it's evident not only from a talent standpoint, but also the position they play. When you look at Prince Tega, especially at left tackle. Yeah, yeah, he was mine. It's, I mean, he's the best offensive lineman that they have with also, I think, the most upside. And I think because of the position he plays also and the lack of depth at that position, it's undoubtedly... Uh, the most uh, important, I would say, on offense and defense, a guy that just really can't be replaced. Defensively, I think you could go one of two ways. I'm going to go with kind of the boring one. When that's, Are you surprised? Derek Brown, the guy that's likely a top-five draft pick. I, I am a little surprised by that. Well, and, and I think part of the reasoning for that, and we talked about this some, as you mentioned, on the lunch break, is because right now Auburn has some really great line depth. And so you're going, well, if they lose right. Coe, you hate to lose the talent, but they're going to be okay, right? Well, sort of, but also one of the big questions is the interior of the defensive line. And you had so much consistency last year with Dontavious Russell. And for the first time in a while, you don't know what the interior yeah. is going to look like. And I think when you look at Nick Coe and Marlon Davidson and Big Cat Bryant, all players with NFL potential, but also guys who I think can be schemed against. When you add... When you add Derek Brown into the mix, it pretty much gives Auburn an advantage on just about every play. And I think that, for a scheme standpoint, maybe more so than depth, is a, is a huge advantage. Or, if you look at it without having him, a disadvantage. Yeah, I just think if, if Derek Brown goes down, and obviously, hopefully, we're not jinxing these guys, but I don't think there's a... a glaring hole in the defense if that happens. That's I think the other... I, I, my, my answer is Igbenogany. Yeah, I was going to say secondary. There's a really good case you can make for cornerback. Right, and, and you know, like if uh, if, if uh, Javaris Davis goes down, it's like, that's you an doing? issue. Right. right, like you put McCreary back there, and it, and it kind of becomes like, a, all right, they may be good, but you don't really know, and you think, speaking of guys with upside, I mentioned Tega, I mean... A lot of people are throwing Noah in that same camp of like, if he has the season people expect in only year two as a corner. Yeah, it's the same situation. Yeah, he might find himself as a second day guy off draft boards. Yeah, they're both very physically gifted. They're both new to their position. And with one more season of good play at that position, they are going to be millionaires very quick. So 
good for them. Wish we were in that situation. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to be like, man, like, is Derek Brown, you know, you'll see, like, he's hard to miss. I've seen him around town. I'm like, gosh, he's, give him a year and he'll, yeah. uh, he'll be living his best life. Right. Actually, maybe not because he, he wants to get to that fourth year of, the, of his career. Then he'll be living his mm-hmm. best life. Would D Ford make about $90 million for that contract re up? I'd take it. Yeah, you, you could live with that. I'd take it. And then, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you see on Johnson and these other guys come back into town and they're still wearing the same stuff they wore when you saw them around <laughs> town when they were in college. It's just like, but that guy has $10 million <laughs> or more, <laughs> right. depending on who it is. Yeah, and, you know, who they signed with as far as, you know, Under Armour or Nike or whatever. But all right, so. Auburn undercover and Marcelo, uh, one of the best in the biz for sure. He, he put out a kind of a, an injury report update heading into fall camp, which, of course, at the time of us recording this starts tomorrow. It will start Friday. But a uh, couple of injuries and, of course, 14 practices over 17 days. The big two defensive tackle, Daquan Newkirk and nickel corner Jordan Peters, they're recovering from Achilles injuries and they had surgery this offseason. Daquan Newkirk is a guy that I loved when he was coming into Auburn, and then it seemed like he was on campus for five minutes, and he he nicked uh, you know he nicked up his leg, and then it happened again in, in spring, I believe, is when when it happened again. And he's just a guy that you know to answer your question as far as you know depth inside the the defensive line. If Derek Brown were to go down, kind of continuing our conversation from earlier, Daquan Newkirk is the answer, assuming he could stay healthy. I think. Everything I've heard about this guy is when he's healthy, he's performing. He's got the body that, that these coaches want. He's got the mindset that these coaches want. He just hasn't been able to play consistently and practice consistently because he can't stay healthy. 6'3", just over 300 pounds. And yeah, I think it's not really a question at this point if he's healthy who that other tackle is in the interior next to Derek Brown if he's healthy. But as you've mentioned, he's spent more time over the last year and a half in those little wheelie chairs on a scooter than he's been able to practicing. And so I I feel for him because I think it's not a talent issue. I think that this spot would have been sewn up more yeah. if it weren't for this injury. And he may still have a good season. When you look at the rest of that line, he doesn't have to be a superstar. I think if he can fill his role nicely, he's got Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson and those other guys, Nick Coe, Big Cat, right there with him. I think it'll be yeah. like his – he doesn't have to yet become – can he be Andrew Williams from last year? That's I think that should More be his less, goal. Yeah, I mean, right? like, I'm not even saying he has to be what Dontavious Russell was. Mm-hmm. I, I think obviously Auburn would take that if if they could get any level of produ- productivity like that out of him. When you look at this line, it's that does start making you think. Okay, the hype would uh, would be warranted. What about Jordan Peters, a guy that hasn't really been discussed a whole lot on the the podcast this summer? But he's a guy that I think has the ability, I just don't think he's better than any of these four starters. And it's also kind of like, okay, we saw him early on as a freshman get substantial playing time. You know, he made some key plays in that Georgia game and that Iron Bowl where where Auburn won both of those games two seasons ago. But he's a guy that I don't really know where you put him. He's just kind of a defensive back, and you know, he's listed here at Auburn Undercover as a nickel. I think some people might say he's a safety. I think at some point we might have thought he was a corner. And so I think it's interesting because he's like a backup for all of those positions. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's a solid player at almost any position. He's a utility player, a guy that I don't think is ever going to blossom into a great player. But I think he can do a number of things and serves an important role because of what you just said. He can play 
essentially any position in the defensive backfield well enough that, you know, with some measure, I would add, but he, he can play just about well enough that Auburn doesn't feel like he's a liability when they put him back there. Plus, he had some pretty outstanding moments on special teams. So uh, I think that he's a guy that you look at and go, good college football player when it's all said and done at Auburn. I don't think that Jordan Peters will have some outstanding career we're still, we're still talking about in five years, but I think a nice piece for Auburn to have, as you mentioned, as a safety valve. Mm-hmm. What do you think his upside is? Is his upside Daniel Thomas, or is it a little more than that, or is it a little less than that? What do you think? I think less. I think Really? I think Daniel Thomas has carved out a really nice role for himself and proven to be one of the probably better safeties in the league I mean at least I would say top half now let me just preface it by saying I can't name six other you know safeties that aren't at mm. Auburn so outside of Summit maybe Alabama but it's like the top I, name guys right yeah. I, so I, I think that Daniel Thomas though has a real role it will be his second year as a starter he also made an impact as a freshman not unlike Jordan Peters so I, I would say that that Peters has a place on this team. I just don't Man. I don't know if it's going to be one that's you know, something that stands out to us. I think he helps the coaches in knowing that he's reliable, he's there and he can do a, a multitude of things. This time last year, do you remember how mean I was? <laughs> to him to, <laughs> to Daniel Thomas, Thomas. yeah I mean two even, weeks into it I issued an apology right. and I I tagged him in it on Instagram and he sent me a DM back saying hey man we're cool we cool <laughs> so uh Daniel Thomas and I are cool now but this time last year I was so mean to him what are you gonna do you know hey you, you uh I th- the thing is I like to think I'm a better person because of it well you weren't personally attacking him you just didn't think he was gonna blossom into the player he did and then you said you know what I was wrong sorry about that DT and he said it's cool I'm glad I got to prove you wrong well and, and he showed out in Washington and people started tweeting me like two series into the games like yeah, look at Daniel Thomas and I'm like maybe I am wrong and then he did it, you know, a few weeks later. I was like, yeah, I'm way off here. I will drive the Daniel Thomas hype train into 2019. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. You're listening to the Locked On Auburn podcast. All right, so with Daquan Newkirk being uh, battling you know, back from injury, so it, it looks like it's him, Truesdale, Connus Miller, and Nick Coe are going to be playing for time at tackle. What are your thoughts of Nick Coe being a defensive tackle playing inside and, and you not seeing him as much on the outside? Because I think there's two ways to look at it. One, you got your best pass rushers and your best overall players on the field if he does that, even though I think he might be playing out of position a little bit. And when you do that, you're able to put more guys on the outside at Buck and defensive end. Yeah, his ceiling may be higher at a different position, but I think because he is so versatile seems like I've used that word a ton in the last five minutes because he can do a lot of different things yeah. on the line because he might be the most athletic of all the guys there. And that's saying something considering Derek Brown's right next to him. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with this. I get the idea of, of wanting him to play in a specific spot, especially if you feel like 
it's the position he's best at. But if that position is also a place where Auburn feels really good about some of its other players, mm-hmm. and you've got a little bit of a question mark on the interior, to me it makes a lot of sense. And then you look at the guy and you go, well, you can move him around a little bit as well. I, I think that this is a perfectly fine decision if they end up going this route. You said there are two ways to look at it. Give me both of those directions. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one is you want as much depth on the edge as possible and you just want to wear out opposing tackles and you want to be able to put as much pressure on quarter uh, on quarterbacks on third down. And I think the other side of it is, do you want just your best players on the field as much as possible? And I'd have to err on the side of the second one, especially when Auburn has so much depth up front. So... Uh, other guys uh, mentioned about having injuries in the Auburn Undercover article by Marcelo. Buck pass rusher's big cat, Bryant. is He has a shoulder issue, and Nick Coe has a hand issue. Receivers Will Hastings and Eli Stove, both of them messed up their knees last year. And then backup safety Smoke Monday has a shoulder issue. But all these guys are expected to be ready to go tomorrow, Friday. And so uh, I, think that's, I think that's a good thing for Auburn. Now the downside is... All those names, I think, are going to be important to some extent on the team this year. So if it, you know, if gets it, re-aggravated, right. it could be a it could be a big deal, right? And then like you look at Hastings, I'm excited to see what he adds because I don't think he's ever the player that's you know the 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 most gaudy of numbers of that Auburn receiving crew. But I feel like he could really help out some of those other guys. We saw that at times when he was healthy. I feel like he's a really nice supporting piece mm-hmm. to a, a group of wide receivers who are probably more athletic, but he adds a, a different dynamic that, you know, you I think Auburn fans would hope he's he's back. Stove, how do you feel about Stove going into this year? You know, because there are some guys who can do some things he does, but obviously Malzahn and the coaching staff really liked him as a freshman. They've talked about his role moving forward. So I don't think Stove is being forgotten about by the staff. It's just like... I think he's being forgotten about by Auburn fans. Right, right. And I look at it and I go, man, there's so many guys who can do a lot of the same things. Who's the best at it? How do you maximize when Mm -hmm. you're giving them the ball in those situations? Yesterday, Michael and I did our top five questions we want to answer, things we're looking forward to seeing, and that kind of thing going into fall camp. And one of mine was who's the number two receiver to Seth Williams, right? And, and it totally could be Eli Stove. I know there's a lot of excitement, a lot of hype about Schwartz. He missed spring due to running track. And then you also have to ask the question, okay, speed, obviously extremely important at any position, maybe outside of offensive line, but just overall athleticism is very important. But the thing is, like, I, I like him more when he doesn't have the football than when he does. And I like Eli Stove more when he has the football than when he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I think all the, the all these guys have arguments for and against them that you can make as far as, okay, who's going to be the number two guy to Seth Williams this year? But if it was, if it was Eli Stove as far as net yardage, I, I'd be a little surprised, but not extremely surprised. I feel like it'll be Matthew Hill. In part because of the role he's likely to play, in part mm-hmm. because of his athleticism. I feel like I just expect so much, and that's no secret here on this podcast with Seth Williams and I, Williams, but uh, <laughs> I do feel like Matthew Hill, <laughs> I do feel like Matthew Hill is a guy that's going to be really productive this year. And, you know, you look at Stove, I think you kind of left yourself a little bit of a caveat there when you said net yardage, because a lot of Stove's yards will probably come off of sweeps or short yardage passes, right. you know, more or less designed run plays. 
um, than they will necessarily downfield passing plays. And that's where I think Matthew Hill and Seth Williams probably land. I think that they get a lot of targets through the air this year. I think most people would think that. Yeah, and I think regardless of who starts at quarterback, and you know, I've said it time and time again, I think it's Gatewood, but you want those easy completions, and I want those quick passes to go to two guys. I wanted to go to Eli Stove, and I wanted to go to Anthony Schwartz. I think they're both home run threats. I think they're both chances. They both have chances to take it all the way to the house every single time they touch the football. With that being said, I think there's still this assumption that just because Anthony Schwartz is so stinking fast that he's going to be a great receiver. He's not a big dude. I mean, that's important to remember, especially when you're going downfield, I think. like, well, it, Yeah, and, and like he's good at running straight. I mean, we haven't seen him consistently make people miss. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not his fault. Just it ha- the opportunity hasn't presented itself yet, and it will. And I think it will quickly. It probably will happen against Oregon. But as far as using a receiver whose main trait, his main weapon, his best asset is running straight, I think he's better and more valuable running down the field and throwing it to him. We, uh, we've mentioned this before, but I, I feel like hopefully if you're an Auburn fan, you're thinking, was there an analyst this year for Gus Malzahn and Kenny Dillingham whose sole job during the offseason was to watch as much Tyreek Hill film as possible? Now, I understand that Mahomes throwing him the ball and Andy Reid helping with the, uh, the scheme probably helps Tyreek Hill too. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, of having that elite speed and athleticism that Schwartz, I think, is comparable to on, on the college level, if they can find ways to use that guy like that, I think that's invaluable. Now, to your point, we know Ty- Tyreek Hill is shifty. He's not just fast. He's able to make people miss. And a terrible human being. Yeah, I think that's important to to mention also. But like We are talking strictly on the field but here. For, in terms of being a reliable pass catcher or dynamic player with the ball yeah. in his hands, you can make an argument he's one of the best in the NFL. And mm-hmm. I think Schwartz on the college level, because of that speed, could be in that same category if used properly. Right. So that'll be fun to see. Who? Do, so, all right, you're, you're saying Matthew Hill. That's so funny. Matthew Hill didn't even come up. And, and the conversation yesterday, well, and, but, and, but it totally could well, be. Well, you know, I mean, you didn't see him last year, and then you saw him some in the A-Day game, and, and you hear whispers about him doing well, but that's a guy where I, I'm saying that's what I think will happen, and I'm not really basing it on anything we've actually seen. So it is sort of a guess more than it is a prediction, but I I think that he, he, the volume of targets he'll get, and I think, you know, spending a year getting acclimated, because a lot of us thought it was going to be Matthew Hill not Seth Williams that emerged as a freshman threat at wide receiver, and instead it turned out to be a really good Seth Williams. I think now you get both of them. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate. Save money and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. You're listening to the Locked On Auburn podcast. So I just got an email from uh, from Cody Voga. We love that, don't we? Yes. It's like, all right, cool. Do we have another news story? And I just, I just deleted it. Some little basketball scheduling, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And I got a feeling, I, I haven't looked at it yet, but I, I just, I have a feeling that we know what most of it 
is going to say, okay, I just, I just got it back. <laughs> I just got it back. We're doing this. Okay, so uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little basketball action. Friday, November 1st, the exhibition game is against Eckerd. Love it. Cool. Very, right. very excellent. Right. Maybe they won't lose to them like they did Barry. I don't know. Well, they won the SEC later, so Can't they made complain. up for it. It clearly wasn't a big deal. I thought it was a big deal at the time. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Uh, all right, so the, the true season opener, Tuesday, November 5th, against Georgia Southern. That's in Auburn. Friday, November 8th, that is against Davidson. That is in Annapolis, Maryland. Tuesday, November 12th, at South Alabama. Interesting that they're going on yeah, the road Coach there. Yeah, Coach hasn't been afraid to play in-state schools, and he's made jabs at the in-state school that won't do that because they've obviously made a point to play UAB a few times in a row, and now they're going to play South Alabama. And They're going to South Alabama, which right. is awesome. Um, I, think it's, I think it's good. I think it's a little risky because a lot of people will say, well, there's no real upside for Auburn in that situation. But – Pearl thinks it's important, and he's made that known. He's also made it known that he thinks Alabama should do it, too. Well, and, and, and baseball has done this, too. I mean, Butch Thompson's talked about it. It's important to get alumni and, and uh, you know, the fan base from other parts of the state that can't see a whole lot. I think Come that's, out. I think that's great. Right. Let's see. Friday, November 15th against Cal State Northridge. That's in Auburn. And then Monday, November 18th against Colgate in Auburn. I believe we knew those. And then Monday, November 25th against New Mexico and Brooklyn. That's in the Garden, right? Yes, I believe so. And then the following day is against Richmond or, or Wisconsin. The Barclays Center? Yeah, that's it. That's totally it. The Garden's not. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, then Thursday, December 5th against Furman and Auburn. Saturday, December 14th against St. Louis. That the- Furman game, by the way, sorry to interrupt you. No, I think ahead. one to watch. Remember, Furman was ranked in the top 25 last year. If they have another strong season, I think that that potentially... Actually, you look at Furman and go, oh, well, like, is that going to matter? It actually could be a significant or at least a slight resume booster if they have a similar season to last year. Yeah, no, good, good, uh, good addition there. Saturday, December 14th, they play St. Louis. That is uh, at Birmingham, up in Birmingham. Thursday, December 19th, they take on NC State. In Auburn, that's going to be a fun one. I, I hate Auburn, the students aren't going to be in town for that. Yeah, Auburn, remember, went to NC State and played probably one of their worst games of the year yeah. last year. I mean, they I think they turned the ball over about 25 times in that game and still lost by, it might have been single digit. So it's like, don't turn the ball over, you know, mm-hmm. turn the ball over 20 times instead of 25 times, and they may win that game. It's crazy how different that team was than the team that ended the year. I mean, it's just night and day. Saturday, December 21st against Lehigh. That is in Auburn Arena. Saturday or Sunday, playing on a Sunday, December 29th against Lipscomb. That game is in Auburn. And then Saturday, January 25th is against Iowa State. And that is part of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And that will be in Auburn. So, cool. I don't really know if there's anything else to break down there, but I think that is important. And I think that is fun. And it's crazy that... Two, uh, there's been two shows this week where basketball's been a big topic. And football on- starts Friday. Right. Which is nice because it's like I'm simultaneously looking forward to fall camp and the Oregon game while also looking ahead to Auburn basketball going, it should be entertaining even if, and I know that this is how a lot of fans realize or feel, and, and you know maybe you should, it probably won't go the way it went last year. Like It's definitely not likely that Auburn makes it back to a Final Four, and it's unlikely that they win some type of SEC title this year, whether it be regular season or conference. But if they're in the top four in the league, if they're a top 25 team, if they continue to recruit well, 
that's an excellent place to be in. Did you listen to the podcast with with him and John Rothstein? Did I you? listened to some of it, not all thirty minutes where he spoke, but I thought that all in all, I mean, at first, yeah, the, it, it was nice to hear him in a long form conversation. Right, right. There's a, and I talked about this with Sumner earlier in the week, but there was a, uh, they talk about like how the conference is getting better, and there's a quote where Pearl says. Auburn's going for its third straight championship. <laughs> and it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, that's true. That's pretty weird. Like, he, he's not even, like, reaching on any of it. Like, they've won championships the past two years, and it's just, I really have a hard time comprehending it. And they played teams like Duke and NC State <laughs> and Kentucky, who they beat, and North Carolina, who oh they destroyed, gosh. and Kansas, who they handled. It's crazy. Weird. It, it, it is a, uh, a strange world that we seem to be operating in yeah anything else uh that, that you think we should mention before uh before fall camp gets going tomorrow the open viewing period is what 255 is when it starts right so we'll um we'll get that information to you somehow but that's uh it, it's gonna be fun it's gonna be you know a lot of uh, a lot of message boards people responding to the videos that are posted saying that everybody looks good in shorts. Michael's making fun of that yesterday about the quarterbacks, but it's true. It's going to happen. And how good everyone looks, and how uh, how big the linemen are, how strong the defensive tackles look, and how quick the receivers are. It's going to be a lot of that. Going back to something totally off point, since I brought up the turnovers in that love Auburn NC State it. game. Bring it. Auburn also forced 22 turnovers in that game, so I don't remember that. That might have been why they only lost by seven when they turned the ball over 25 times. Neither here nor there. I would say about fall camp coming up and the season in general, if Auburn gets to 9-3, and three, and I know a lot of people probably will not like hearing this, that's a spectacular season. I've been beating the drum for more than a year now that Auburn needs to consistently or at least more consistently win double-digit games. I, I, I get that it's tough, but... Not having back-to-back 10-win seasons since the late 80s is unacceptable. And that spanned over more than just Gus Malzahn. To be fair, that's not just a Gus Malzahn thing. Um, But if Auburn, with this schedule, can get to nine wins, if it can beat LSU and one of Georgia or Alabama, I think that's terrific. Um, They're probably in a New Year's Six Bowl if they're 9-3 and with this schedule. The season doesn't come to an end if they lose to Oregon, like I know so many people will think it does. But talk about a tone setter one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And if they can get out of that first month with wins over Oregon and at Texas A&M, 4-0 going into a Mississippi State game at home, suddenly you're looking at possibly being 5-0 and and feeling really good about yourself. And that's generally the point where Malzahn seems to find a rhythm and his team finds its identity. I have a hard time seeing Auburn winning against Oregon and A&M. I think if, if that happens... They can run it. I mean, I, that that would be a, a huge accomplishment because you're totally right. His that's kind of when his teams peak about you know week six or seven into the season. But I I don't I, I'm not saying that they you know they go one and one in those games. If they go zero oh and two, it's an issue. But if they go one and one in those games, I still could see this team kind of turning the corner and and, yeah. and getting things done. They could but, go seven and five by splitting those games, or they could go nine and three, just like we're talking about. Like it's yeah. you know I. I this is the weirdest to me, one of the weirdest scenarios of an Auburn team entering a season because everyone wants to tamper down expectations. I think Auburn fans are tired of being let down. But I think that looking at the roster, there's like real reasons to be optimistic. And then you look back at the schedule and you go, man, you could also, you, if you find yourself on the wrong end of two or three 50 50 games, yeah. like suddenly it's a, another seven and five season. Yeah, there's so many 50 50 games. And, uh, 
We've touched on that. We'll continue to do so. Painter, how can people find you and hear you, bud? Please listen to the lunch break from 11 to 1. It's on ESPN 106.7. And also, if you're not in the Auburn-Opelika area, you can do that at ESPNAU.com and our ESPN 106.7 app. I'm also on Twitter. Give me a follow at Paint Sharpless. And the show, The Lunch Break, is available wherever you get your podcasts, just like this one. This has been another edition of the Locked On Auburn podcast. I'm Zach Blackerby on Twitter at ZBlackerby. We'll see you tomorrow, always daily, always Auburn. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.